time for Thursday Finance. Stephen Pritchard, good afternoon. Glad to have you with us today. Good afternoon. We've got uh, a big program. Can you just tell us what's on the show today? Um, we're going to have uh, Henry Jennings talking to us within a moment about the market update. And we've got Mark Longworth from um, Dowling's East Lakes talking to us about um, something that seems to be very popular these days, downsizing your uh, house every week. There seems to be a story in there the uh, property section of the paper, so I thought we'd get Mark in to tell us what's involved in that. We have the uh, currency and commodity markets. What's going on there today? Um, interesting week. Um, gold was down uh, 3% to $1,556 an ounce. Um, copper was pretty much steady at 7699 and the crude oil price was down 4.5% to $67.53 a barrel. Um, for all those people uh, who were um, travelling overseas, uh, good news, the currency was up uh, 2.6 cents per week. Always to, good to hear. <laughs> good to hear. The Reserve Bank's not too pleased, though. Um, to 77 US cents um, last night. And uh, the Great British Pound were up 1.6% to that to 62 uh, pence. And against the euro, we're also up 1% to 71.71 euro cents. Um, the equity markets around the world, well, they were all black as well. Good week. For everyone. Um, so the All Ordinaries was up 1% to 5,835 on the week. Uh, in the US, the S&P 500 was up 1% to 2,385. And the Hang Seng, which is Hong Kong Index, was up 1.2% to 23,792. And some local stocks, um, some stocks that a lot of local investors hold. We'll just have a quick look at some of those. Um, BHP was up uh, 3.2% to $24.74. $24.74. Uh, Commonwealth Bank was up 1.5% to $84.84. And of course, the local listed uh, health fund, NIB, was up 1.3% uh, to $5.34, which is, is getting close again to its all time high. And, and Telstra um, was up marginally 2.3% uh, to $4.74. And uh, in the fuel market, which uh, it's coming up to the holidays. It'll be interesting to see whether it goes up. We know where it'll go. Yes, it's for Jane and I are having that competition. But last week we were down marginally to a dollar eighteen and a half cents, and in Sydney was down five percent to a dollar fifteen point nine cents. And the diesel, for those people who, which seems to be more and more diesel cars on the road, um, was a dollar twenty one a litre in Newcastle and a dollar twenty one a litre in Sydney. So no change there. So everything we wanted to go up has gone up, and the things we uh, want to come down have come down. Yeah, it's a good week. Good week. Let's just quit while uh, we're ahead almost. We don't want to take any bets on where the fuel price is going to go before Easter. <laughs> we know where it'll we be at Easter, mate, that's for sure. That. Fair enough. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. You're sounding very cheerful there today, my friend. Oh, why would you not be? No. Wouldn't be dead for quits, would no. you? No. And uh, Mr Peter Hall seems to have uh, exited uh, Hunter <laughs> Hall and handed control to... Uh, Sol Patterson's, I think. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, this has been a long-running saga, to say the least, and uh, it finally looks as if it is drawing to some sort of conclusion. Um, for those listeners who, who don't know, Peter Hall came back from his Christmas holidays and had a bit of a dummy spit and sold out of his um, Hunter Hall, which is the fund that he started. Uh, Hunter Hall International, a very, very low price, about a dollar initially, uh, and then set off a big train of events, which looks like it's nearly, well, hopefully it's coming to a bit of a conclusion. Sol Patterson um, has emerged as, um, well, certainly might, might not be the winner, but at the moment it's looking like the winner. Um, they have uh, upped their bid for the company for $2.60, um, and they are taking out um, uh, Peter Hall from his remaining 
um, then they will end up with about 39% of that with a big $3 billion retail fund manager. Um, Jeff Wilson has been agitating uh, in the background, and I don't think he's going to give up easily, but um, he's from Wilson Asset Management. So there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of movement at the station in this fund manager business at the moment. There's uh, a lot of pressure on, uh, on fees and performances, and uh, as in all these industries where you get this sort of pressure on, uh, on income, um, you see uh, mergers and acquisitions going on. Yeah, I mean, one of, one, of the, one of the things that as a result of this pressure on the fund management industry or maybe a cause of it is that information now is a lot more readily available than it used to be and there's a lot of publications like um, like, like Marcus Today and yeah. other things that provide this information direct to the investors that, yeah. th- that they couldn't get before. Well, that, that's right. It's also, uh, I mean, there's lots of newsletters around. There's lots of ones like ours around. There's lots of uh, brokers that do a very good job in servicing their clients and research is relatively easy to come by. Um, there's also what's been an overriding factor in the last, I guess, five years has been the growth of what they call ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds. And these are like mega funds that replicate uh, the performance of certain indices or commodities or, or currencies or whatever. And they're very cheap in terms of their fees. They don't have performance fees like some fund managers. Um, and they're what they call passive investments. So they... Uh, they will track the underlying thing. Um, so if the All Lords does very well or the ASX 200 does well, uh, that ETF will do well as well. So um, they do have an appeal. They are low cost. They're quite liquid. Um, they're easy to get in and out of. They're massive business in the U.S. And it does mean that fund managers who have not been performing particularly well in the last few years either have to lift their game in terms of performance or they have to cut their fees as people uh, realize that maybe they're not getting value for money. Yeah, and if people want to get a free Marcus Today newsletter for a couple of weeks? Oh, they can just go onto our website, marcustoday.com.au. And keep up to date, manage their own money. And Bunnings, yeah. Bunnings is um, is looking at launching an online store in the UK. Yeah. I hope this isn't um, going to be another um, Masters. Yeah, well, Bunnings took over a business in the UK called Homebase, um, which was a, one of the, uh, the bigger chains of hardware businesses in the UK, and they've since then they've um, they've turned one of the stores in uh, St Albans, just north of London, into a Bunnings store, a Bunnings style store. So I guess you get your sausage sizzle, you get lots of middle-aged blokes in red aprons that uh, scatter like cockroaches as soon as you try and get some help. Um, but they do have low prices, and what they're looking at doing is um, is looking at online uh, selling of their products. Now they, they haven't done that. In Australia, because they have, uh, you know, they want to keep prices cheap, and delivery of, uh, of hardware and stuff like that does tend to bump the price up. But they're certainly looking at it in the UK. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, so far, they haven't really been that keen on the uh, whole e-commerce platform, but um, we shall see how it goes. And uh, it looks like Medibank appears to be in a bit of trouble with the Australian Consumer and Competition Commission. It appears to have changed the, the policy conditions of its uh, Members Health Fund but didn't actually tell anyone until they went and made a claim. No, I mean, this is, um, you know, unfortunately we're starting to get used to uh, financial institutions um, moving the goalposts yeah. or, um, or you know, banks behaving badly or, you know, that sort of thing. And then... We've seen it with uh, you know a number of the, the big banks. Com Insure has had uh, uh, their share of problems, um, and Medibank looks like it's um, also been changing the goalposts with uh, conditions on its policy.
unfortunately, when you when you privatise a business um, and the executives get remunerated based on um, you know that that um, you know profits, then there is a temptation to head down that way. I'm afraid. And um, yeah, and speaking of profits, BHP and Rio expect uh, investors are expecting the the dividends to surge instead of. Uh, Wasting money on acquisitions again? Do you think that's, do you think <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, our big miners have got a pretty dire record of, uh, of timing in terms of uh, acquisitions. Uh, for those uh, listeners with a long memory, will remember that Rio, uh, during the financial crisis, uh, pushed ahead with their uh, purchase of Alcan Aluminium. Uh, BHP also bought PetroHawk, um, in, which is a U.S. gas and oil business, at pretty much the top of the market for twenty billion dollars, which they've had to write down. So um, investors now are hoping that with all this cash sloshing around resource companies, um, and they have got a lot of cash because commodity prices have run quite hard, um, and they've in the last few years they've driven costs down considerably, um, that they're actually going to shower shareholders rather than uh, go out and blow the money on some uh, unwise acquisition. So um, we saw a little bit of that, I guess, in the last set of results that the miners brought out, but we haven't really seen you know, massive largesses yet. Um, there's a bunch of uh, shareholders that are hoping that uh, they'll see capital returns or uh, or buybacks or uh, just increased dividends. So we'll wait and see, but certainly the big miners are going to have uh, money burning holes in their pockets in, in, if commodities stay where they are. And hopefully going out is dividend checks. Well, that's, that's the hope, yeah, yeah, rather than blowing it on something yeah. silly. And then speaking of selling things, um, private equity appears to be looking at selling... Uh, Super Amart, and uh, mm. yes, and I had a look at the previous stuff that was sold, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pri- private equity has uh, has been quite um, quite active, I guess, in terms of selling down some things. We've we've seen uh, the private equity owners of a thing called Alinta Energy. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been trying to sell that as well, and it looks like out of the blue, or not out of the blue, because they were trying a trade sale as well. Um, is that a Chinese or Hong Kong group has uh, has bid for the whole thing? Um, Quadrant Private Equity is um, is looking at selling the, um, the five hundred million dollar um, valuation sort of on Super Amart. Um, so we'll see how they go with that. But it's um, you know, it's obviously quite a big uh, sell down. Private Equity doesn't have a great record um, from an investor's point of view. They do tend to. Um, they do tend to pick the top of the market, and sometimes, you know, there's a reason these guys are selling. They're not they're not selling because you know they're nice blokes. And they want to give investors a, a bit of a free kick. They're they're selling, um, you know, they're selling it because they think they've got maximum value out of it, yeah. and they and they want to move on to the next um, thing that they can buy, uh, dress up, put lipstick on, and uh, and then sell back to the public. So yeah, like, um, like spotless, like spotless. Uh, you know, they did it with Maya. They did it with Dick Smith. You know, there's, there's a, a, I guess there's a litany of, of uh, private equity um, successes, if success is the right word. Certainly it is for them. But uh, as they say, beware a, a Greek bearing false gifts. Um, and the government's attempting to fix a couple of things with the uh, uh, the energy or the looming <laughs> energy problem. I mean, South Australia is going to give some of the farmers a direct share of the royalties from the gas extracted from their land. And then uh, Malcolm Turnbull's going to increase the, snow, uh, the, 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 the Snowy Hydro facility by 50% to uh, solve the looming energy crisis. It's, it's, it's fortunately, they never solved that, isn't it? 
No, I mean, this, this is an odd one. I mean, Turnbull summoned all the uh, the gas chiefs to Canberra to, to chide them over the fact that they're getting better prices overseas than they are domestically. Um, and as a result, they're selling all the gas there and, and there's none for us. Um, and then he announced a hydroelectric um, mm. upgrade, which kind of is a bit strange. Maybe he didn't get too much luck from the gas companies and they've stated the, the obvious that, um, you know, without new gas supplies, all the long-term contracts and short-term contracts for uh, for overseas parties are kind of fixed, um, and they have to supply um, certain volumes. The um, the thing that puzzles me, I have to say, is that uh, the overseas guys are buying this expensive gas, yet their economies can stand that, and their industry seems to be able to withstand that. Yet uh, our industries are facing massive power bill increases, um, you know, sometimes two, three times what they were paying. And uh, we're still getting relatively cheap gas. So I don't know what they're doing right and we're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly it is a bit of a concern that here we are as the world's biggest LNG producer now, um, which you would think would... And we've got the, you know, tons and tons and tons of coal, mm -hmm. uh, and yet we've got an energy crisis. Well, well, I mean, something's going wrong because, as I spoke mm. before, I mean, uh, Berkshire Hathaway's energy utility is selling their, their electricity in, in Iowa for 6.8 cents a kilowatt and mm. haven't put the price up for 16 years. Mm. And we're up, up over, you know, getting to close to 30 here. So, yes. so, so something's wrong. And yeah, well, I think if you look at the, uh, the AGL share price, yeah, well, we know what the, and, and energy you can, you, can, mm. you can see who's doing well out of the energy crisis. Yes. And speaking of doing well, um, the banks are saying that new capital rules are going to force them to list, lift interest rates to investors. Yeah. And as a consequence, <laughs> make more money. Yeah. Um, this is a report out from JP Morgan Guy this morning. And, and to be honest, this is, this is not really... Um, yeah, it's... Basel IV, which was the uh, the big sort of uh, watershed moment with new rules and regulations about capital requirements, um, has softened, and certainly you know, with the election of Trump and the wind back of regulations in the U.S. for banks um, and his disdain, I guess, for anything uh, like um, European stuff, which would be Basel IV coming out of Europe and the banking regulator, you get the feeling that it's going to be a much softer approach from Basel IV. You also get the feeling that if they impose very high capital requirements on the world's banks, most of the European banks will be bankrupt. So you can kind of assume that the banks won't need to hold as much capital as they think, but the JP Morgan analyst has said, you know what, guys, um, I think you're all wrong. They will need to hold a lot more capital, um, and this could push uh, investment loan interest rates up by, they're talking about 150 basis points or even 300 basis points. Now, you know, if you put up interest rates on your investment loan by 1.5% to 3%, you can imagine what would happen to the uh, Australian property market. So I guess this is another kind of uh, prediction of the end of the world for, for property um, and the, the boom to bust. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen anything concrete from Basel for in terms of regulations. It's more APRA and how they um, interpret those regulations as well and whether they uh, force the banks, and they are forcing the banks to be more prudent with their lending, that's for sure. Okay, well, thanks for that, Henry. We'll talk to Always you. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again next week, and I'm sure oh. there'll be something interesting we've got to talk about. There's always something interesting.
Stephen. I know that, Henry. It's all about downsizing, isn't it? Yeah, we've got uh, Mark Longworth here with us, who's a, who's a licensed real estate agent, business agent, auctioneer, is going to talk to us about the downsizing and the, what actually that means and how you go about it. I know. Good. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, downsizing is one of those words that it's, it's just a, a byword that everyone uses now, but downsizing is really anyone who's moving not necessarily going down in size, but we have downsizers who sell their house and then go into town and buy penthouses worth millions or buy, buy townhouses or whatever. They're actually going up in size. So it's really people who are trying to make their lifestyle easier. They could be moving for all sorts of reasons. Some of them move because they don't want to have a yard to do anymore. Uh, the wife mightn't want to do as much housework. So there's a lot of reasons why people so-called downsize. So it's just a matter of moving around the countryside. So it's just really a matter of changing residence, really. Really, that's yeah. that's that's what it is. And and the bulk of Australia, I think, is in the process of wanting to move residence or wanting to make their lifestyle easier or move closer to children or closer to shops or wherever it may be. So that's it's it's just happening a lot more. So one of the things that, that I've always thought about is, is when you when you which I, I've never actually had to do is change residence. Should you sell your old house first, or should you buy the new one first? What, what's the <laughs> What's the best way around this? Well, uh, well, if, if if you've got a lot of money, Stephen, and some accountants have, they can go no. buy something before they sell. <laughs> but uh, no, but no. to most people, their money is tied up. Their capital's tied up in the property that they're in. So the only way they're going to move is to sell the property they're in and then find a property to go into. And, and that's, it's frightening for a lot of people. They think, I might end up with nowhere to live. But it is something that they've got to look at doing, and that's the only way to do it. If you're working, you can afford to borrow money and you can go from A to B. But if you're an older couple, you're not working, you're just at home on the pension, then your money's tied up in your property. So to move, you've really got to sell that first. And that's where the popularity now of people moving into something that's under construction has become more popular because they've got 18 months, maybe two years, on the purchase of it before they've actually got to settle, which gives them heaps of time to sell their own home and go from A to B. But yes, unfortunately, as we say in real estate, if you're going to buy real estate, we don't take, we don't take stones or feathers, we only take cash. So you've got to come up with that money somewhere, and uh, generally that's selling your own home. And and that's where we, we, we can sort of help you time it. It's not as bad as it sounds. We can sit down. If we know you, it's going to take six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. We can sort of time it a lot easier for you. So so most people, you think, have to sell their their own home before they can are in a position to, yes. to, to, to yes. buy a new one. Yes. Um, and, and of course, if you if you're a wealthy real estate agent, of course you can you can you can go and um, get a, a loan from the bank to finance in between if you want to do the other. Well, you, well, you can do that. The other thing is too that a lot of people when they're downsizing, if they're going to buy something off the plan, most properties that are off the plan now, the banks want a ten percent deposit, and that can become difficult if you're buying something for six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars. It's a fair bit of money. Yeah, so they've, they've got to come up with sixty, seventy thousand dollars. And I know now there's a few of the banks around that will actually give a deposit bond uh, under those circumstances, even though they have not yet sold the home that they're living in. So it's it's not as hard as it used to be. So what's a what's a deposit bond basically for Alison? The deposit bond is is basically it's an insurance over the home that you're in, 
uh, and if they say you can borrow the, your ten percent, your seventy thousand, they take a seventy thousand dollar insurance process over your home, and the cost of getting a deposit bond approximately is about one percent. So it's going to cost you on seventy thousand seven hundred dollars, sixty thousand six hundred dollars, and you can get them now. They're a little bit dearer. You can even get them now for up to twelve months. Right, so the bank basically guarantees the deposit yeah. to the, the person. To the person. It, so you're yeah. buying it off the plan. Yeah. yeah, so that can happen. That makes it easier for people as well. Right. And so I've also heard about these people who, who buy and sell at the same time, and that, that always sounds like a logistically complicated exercise to well, me. Well, actually, it's, if, if you can afford to do it, you sell in the up market and buy in the down market. Yeah, well, that's the, Now, that's what some people, you know, there are a few around who actually do that. But having said that, it's, it's like changing over from a car. It's the changeover figure. So if you get 500000 for your house and you're buying something for 600000 the changeover is 100000 So, And that's what you're trying to do, to try and keep the changeover within your budget. That if you, so you, you, you're not necessarily downsizing, but you're moving across, buying something newer, younger, whatever it might be. You know, the home you're in is becoming a little bit dilapidated, are you going to spend $50,000 on it getting it all fixed or would you rather put that towards another property, whether it be bigger or smaller, with less maintenance? And that's all part of the downsizing thing. And yeah, 57% of Australians in the next 10 years will be living in strata-type complexes. Now, they can be only two units together, they can be a a high-rise with 48 units in Sydney, but the trend now is for people to... Yeah, move out of that home on a quarter acre with all the maintenance and just buy something a little bit easier to look after. Right, right. So so if they're, they're buying and selling at the same time, you know, say, say you, you, you've sold your property and the next day you find a property that you want to buy, hmm. how, uh, um, so you, you've exchanged your contracts, how, how does the real estate agent help you coordinate the settlement so you can move your furniture from one to the other? And, see, see that's, and, and, well, and well that's where we try and palm it off onto solicitors and well, conveyances yep. <laughs> <laughs> who don't really put as much effort into it as what we, we get phone calls all the time on how to do it rather than they get the phone calls. Yep. But, but all you do, if your house is sold and then buying the other one, then you tee up the, the same date settlement at the end of it, and, and most people are flexible these days, I find, on settlements. I mean, I've just done one where they asked for a 10-week settlement. That was fine. So it doesn't necessarily have to be five, six weeks. You can have settlements. I've seen settlements done in 21 days, and I've seen them where, I mean, we have been asked for settlements six months, which is a little bit, I mean, you know, that's a fair way off, and most owners don't really want that long. But at the end of the day, I've just sold my house. Uh, I've got a five- or six-week settlement. I've got to go out and find something else. Uh, I tend to go out. If I can find something, I'll find it. Uh, and then the solicitor will say, well, wait a minute, we need an extra week on your sale to do it properly. And at that stage, maybe the agent will get involved and convince the other people just to give these people an extra week. And so you can move from A to B on the same day, which I know is a bit of a... It's not easy, but um, unfortunately, that's the only way to do it. No-one's come up with a better scheme. But so. it can be done. It can be done, yes. Yeah, we might we might have a break and come back and talk to Mark a bit okay. more about this. So if you've got any questions, just give us a call on 49216216. Thank you. Uh, Mark, so what, what's the first step you need to do once we've um, determined uh, that you want to downsize, whether that means uh, getting a yeah. larger property or smaller I, property? I, look, I think the first, the first step is just get in touch with a reputable agent like myself. 
Yes. <laughs> and, Definitely uh, like you. Yeah. Well, you have to say that, don't you? <laughs> I have to say that. Well, I've known Mark a long time. <laughs> he looks, he's got an honest face, so yeah, that's, that's a start. Good. That's good. That's I'll give you a wallet back later. Yeah. And uh, what you do, <laughs> what you do, you get in touch with just, uh, look, get in touch with your local agent is really a good idea because he knows the prices in your area. Get him in and find out if you sold your house, what's a realistic figure on that house. And that gives you what you can spend if you're going to put money with it or if you want to have money left in your pocket. And then at that point, you can then start looking at a few properties to get an idea what you're going to buy for your money. And then at that, make the decision and off you go and just jump in. I mean, it's one of those things, it's, it's, it's not a hard thing to do. It's just making the decision to do it is. And of course, when, when you're doing that, I mean, you, you need to think about the changeover cost and the yes. biggest, the biggest changeover cost by far is the stamp duty that the government collects. You, well, you've got, you've got, when you buy, you've got stamp duty and you've got legal costs. When you sell, you've got agents costs and you've also got legal costs. So at the end of the day, an agent can say to you, look, this is roughly what your changeover cost is going to be. Mm-hmm. And that will give you, you know, a bottom dollar what you can spend and go to from there. You've got to remember, too, if you're buying things in New South Wales off the plan and some of the newer ones, the government can, often will give you $5,000 towards it. So there is a little bit of a bonus from the government. They're wanting people to do this to get building on it, yeah. Right, right. So that's, that's, so really just get in touch with your agent, find out what the agent can work out, can work out his costs, solicitors, he knows roughly what solicitors cost and you go from there. And, and just one other question, is, is there any, um, is there a big demand from investors, like if, if you wanted to sell your house yep. and wanted to, to, to have the money to buy something 80 months down the track, is there a demand from investors to, to buy a, like a fully tenanted house where they don't have to worry about a new tenant for, and with the lease in place? Does yeah, that, like, does that look, occur? half the market out there is investors because that's they're seeing that the banks are giving them money and you've been talking about they might be going to up the interest rate. Yep. That will be interesting. But at the moment, there's a lot of investors, and a lot of investors, it depends if the investor's looking for the return as far as the rental or looking for the capital growth. And that's going to be up to the individual investor what they chase. So people could advertise the, the, yeah. the house for sale with a, with a six months or a 12 months yeah, lease. Yeah, with a 12 month lease. If they wanted to stay there while yeah. the, the new place was that's right. developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah so they, rent, they rent it back to the owner. Yeah, so there's ways you can structure well, this yeah. to, to give you the time you yeah, need to, that's right. to, to move along. To do it. So either have a long term settlement or, or a normal settlement and rent it back. Okay, well, thanks for that, Mark. Mark, can you, you can give Mark a ring at. Um, Dowling's East Lakes, if you want to ask any more questions about uh, downsizing or get your house... Uh... Not before he gives my wallet back, though. He said no, 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 no. <laughs> We did learn a lot, though, this morning, uh, this afternoon, fellas, uh, on Talking Finance. Of course, yeah, downsizing, we're upsizing, and make sure you get your changeover costs well yep. in order. Thank you for coming in, Mark, and also Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, You'll be Mark. back next week Thanks for Thursday much. Finance, right here at 2NURFM 103.7. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.